Welcome to Association Nation. From digital content to social strategy, print power to video value, engagement to conversion, we cover the content marketing topics that matter most for your members. On today's episode, we're talking about how to make the email workhorse work for you. Are you multitasking while you listen to this podcast? Are you flipping through your email inbox, deleting the junk, and waiting for that subject line that jumps out and screams, read me now? Even if not, you're probably going to be checking your email at some point today, and that's part of the reason why we're talking about email and e-newsletters. Email is still everywhere, all the time. Maybe it's not as shiny and sexy as social. Perhaps it's not as intriguing as the latest paid distribution strategy, but guess what? Email still matters, especially when you do it right. The problem, it's easy to do it wrong. It's easy to get lost in the mix of sales pitches and coupons. It's easy to mess up frequency and cadence. It's easy to end up in the roughly 50% of emails that get deleted every day. But as old as email is, it's never too late to improve. Doing it right means understanding the key concepts, personalization and localization, frequency, writing that killer subject line, nailing the right balance of art and text, and ultimately sending your readers to pieces of content that are worth their time. Put it all together and you can make the web's workhorse gallop for you. For our insider insight today, we're venturing outside the association world and into a topic anybody with taste buds can appreciate, food. Jeff Barakovics is founder at Tasting Table, a media brand devoted to actionable advice on food. Tasting Table covers recipes, restaurants, and more, all with an eye on what's local and personal to readers. Anybody who socializes around eating and drinking is going to like the Tasting Table content. I like to say that these days, regardless of what you have going on in your life, you have some passion that you hold on to. So for some folks, that's sports or being athletic or going to the gym every day. Uh, but for the Tasting Table reader or the person who's attracted to the Tasting Table brand, that's the person who really obsesses over restaurant openings and closings about what they're going to cook for a dinner party this Saturday, the difference between orange wine and uh, organic wine, all of those types of things that they think are central to their social identity. And I know, you know, the beginnings of Tasting Table kind of centered around the daily email model, correct? That's right. For the first, I'd say, four years of Tasting Table, we really concentrated just on building our email CRM list and delivering one piece of content each day entirely in the email to our readers Monday through Friday. So you didn't even need to click out of the email back then. But as our advertising base grew, since we're an advertising-supported uh, editorial model, our biggest advertisers, of course, needed more scale, and they needed us to be present on other channels beside email. So we've spent the last five years becoming a 360-degree publisher across not only email, but also our website at tastingtable.com, uh, 3 million followers across Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, all of those good ones. Um, a very large video and over-the-top um, video strategy, uh, and a number of other channels as well. And and when you are sending out your emails to um, your subscribers, are there specific actions that you're looking for them to take? Um, are you typically looking at um, engagement metrics and analytics, or what? Are, what is your kind of end goal with the user? Well, of course, we're looking at all of it because the email product 
is still such an important piece of our content ecosystem. Uh, even though email is no longer the largest driver of traffic and it's certainly not the largest driver of monetization for us with our advertisers, it still is the number one source of the highest quality traffic that we get from our most engaged readers. If you think about it, somebody who has taken the time to raise his or her hand and say, I want you to send me several emails per week about dining, wine, cocktails, cooking, and food travel is somebody who's really interested in the subject matter. So even if they're not clicking out of that email every day, there's still somebody who wants to think about you every day. Um, and the, when they do come over to the site then into a piece of content, they tend to stay for several pages. They have the longest time on site. They lead to the greatest number of social shares. And they also uh, are responsible for the greatest number of pass-alongs. So we can see that a new subscriber to our newsletter, for example, came in because um, some other user forwarded an email to them. They clicked on it, and then they joined. Uh, so we just know that those original email members uh, are a very high-quality uh, consumer for us compared to, say, somebody who's just searching for a recipe out on Google um, and just comes, clicks the recipe, stays for 60 seconds, and then clicks the back button. Right. And I have to think that some of that you know, th some of what's contributing to those people being the highest quality audience has to be a result of the customization that you're doing when you're serving them content via email. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're doing to customize the e-newsletter e experience now based on what you used to do, which was, you know, blast out a daily email to, to you know, your audience? Sure. I'm going to make a, a little bit of a clarification, though, that is going to seem like uh, semantic hair splitting, but we don't say e-newsletter. Um, that term to me uh, strikes me as a little bit retrograde, uh, and it harkens back to a time when, uh, you know, associations, nonprofits, uh, the folks who really got email newsletters and lists going, used to just kind of send out this list of links to articles that were out on their websites. We think of our product as a product in and of itself. And I think that's an important thing for any marketer uh, to have in mind when they're developing an email strategy. Uh, we call them daily emails. And we put as much attention into crafting that and personalizing it, as you're asking, uh, as we do the articles we put on our website or the posts that we put out on social. So my first answer would be, in terms of personalization, you're going to get out of your email strategy as much as you put into it. So on the tasting table side, we have a very robust technical architecture that we've built over these nine years um, that allows us to pay attention to what people are clicking on, uh, to what they're doing out on our site in terms of what category of articles they're reading and for how long. And we're using all of that information simultaneously, of course, to build our model about what type of content is the most interesting to each of our members. But in terms of personalization, there are hacks that anyone can use, even with the most basic email send service, the off-the-shelf ones that cost a few bucks, um, that will lead to a higher click-through rate and engagement rate with your product. So, for example, if you just send out an email that has five different types of articles, right, with five different content areas from your organization, maybe pretend I'm in the, the business of human resources. If I sent out one article about people management, one article about payroll issues, and one article about um, uh, employee engagement, I would be able to see after I send that email, I'd wait a week, a week and I'd see who clicked on which emails. I could then create a custom list, a segment for each one of those and say that somebody on my list who previously clicked in that email on the employee engagement article is probably like most likely interested in that subject matter. And I could choose, therefore, in the future to send out not one email to everybody, but three different emails on three different vertical topics uh, to each of my members. 
So that's what I mean when I say customization doesn't have to be high tech. It could also just be, you know, jumping into Google Docs or into an Excel and doing a little bit of data manipulation in order to figure out what folks are doing on your existing list and then serving more of the type of content they like to them. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think that's something that anyone can take away, you know, regardless of the tech that supports their email program and strategy. And has customizing your content had a significant effect on your overall site traffic and the results that you've seen over the years? 100%. Every bit of effort, every bit of research, uh, every bit of creativity you put into your email strategy will be returned to you uh, at an exponentially increasing uh, level of return uh, as your list grows. So if you've got 100,000 people on your list uh, and your open rate currently is only at you know, 30, 35, 40%, that other 60% of folks are just sitting there waiting to engage with your uh, service, with your product, with your brand. So everything you do to figure out either through modifying subject lines in the email, or changing up the content you're sending to those people to get them to engage with your brand uh, is, to me, the path of least resistance to uh, get those folks active again. And how about your advertisers? You talked a little bit about advertisers in the beginning. And do they feel that they have uh, better opportunities to market to the right qualified audiences through a more customized program? That's true in a few ways. One is that since we have a lot of information about the vast majority of our subscribers, I'm able to send a custom invitation, for example, to, you know, say 1,000 people who are within 10 miles of a certain zip code to invite them into an event that we're doing with one of our automotive partners uh, where they will be able to sample some food and drink from an incredible hot restaurant where you can't get a reservation and test drive that incredible automobile. Um, We know that the folks we invited are geographically located in a relevant area. But we also know via third-party data that there's a high likelihood that those folks you invited are in market for a luxury automobile right now. So not surprisingly, those advertisers see an incredible conversion of folks that we invite to becoming um, purchasers or uh, lessers of their automobile uh, within a certain period of time after that elapses. Uh, That's something that you can only do if you own the consumer relationship with brand credibility where they recognize you in their inbox. And you have enough data to know when to invite them into what event for what purpose. So it happens in that regard. And then, of course, our advertisers benefit in terms of the higher level of engagement uh, overall with our product, uh, since we do put their brand advertising and the content we create for them uh, and all of our content marketing uh, strategies for advertisers also get promoted in our emails. So naturally, they're seeing more click through, more brand engagement with the content we create for them uh, just because we're hyper focused on it. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I know you've talked a lot about, you know, the information that you're collecting um, from the users themselves and also the information that you're collecting on the back end um, through research on on the users. And and so how did you decide what information you're going to collect from the user right off the bat versus what you're going to try to collect from them, you know, throughout the relationship so that you don't overwhelm someone at the beginning? We hear that a lot from some of the organizations that we work with, that we don't want to provide a barrier to having someone, you know, read the content, but they also want to get some baseline information from their readers in order to, um, you know, start start a, I don't want to say start a file, but, you know, start, start a persona of that person so they they can continue to gain information on them as they consume content. 
Sure. Well, I say maybe not to start a file, but to start a funnel, a classic marketing funnel. And I would say it's better to have an email address and no additional information supporting that to start, to give me an opportunity to start a conversation with that potential customer or consumer uh, than it is to have nothing at all. So typically the strategies I recommend when you know I'm working with uh, startups where I'm on the board or with nonprofits that I'm helping, I say, just ask for the email address on the first screen. And then in the second screen, after you submit, you've got that email. Now ask those folks just three, maximum four or five additional data points optionally that will help to guide your understanding of that consumer. Uh, and if for whatever reason they don't want to provide that, that's cool. You still have the ability to send them a follow-up email later to prove to them how wonderful you are and why they should be comfortable giving you that information. Uh, you have a chance to prove yourself. If, on the other hand, you put 10 questions up on a form, uh, for somebody to be able to sign up for your email product, of course, they might bolt the same way you walk into a Starbucks and you see the line's too long and you're late and you just turn around and walk right out the door. Yeah, absolutely. I never wait in that Starbucks line, by the way. <laughs> Online ordering <laughs> is a game changer for your It is. Level. It really is. To walk in and grab your coffee is just a beautiful thing. I totally agree. And, and so... When you think about in an ideal world for tasting table, if, you know, resources and money were, you know, no concern, how personalized would you want every tasting table touchpoint to be? And what are kind of your goals and your big picture vision for the future of customization for your audience? For the daily email that we send out, I like the idea of 50% personalization. Uh, you want 50% of the content to be the same among everybody who gets your content, because you want them to have something to talk about with everybody else who signed up for it. That's interesting. So I had never really thought of it that way, but that is an interesting concept. If it's the same idea of a newspaper coming out. Uh, I, I know that in America these days, there is less kind of cultural similarity in terms of, you know, everyone no longer watches the same television shows or sees the same movies. Uh, so there's a lot of sociological evidence that uh, strangers have less to talk about, less small talk among these um, kind of cultural events that everyone used to understand. Uh, but if you push it to the email product level, you can think of it as saying anybody who uh, I recommend tasting table to who opens up that email. I want those two people to be able to say, oh, did you see that there is this incredible new uh, rigatoni recipe from the new chef at Sasanta in Soho? Uh, that creates the idea that there's a new now next element to the tasting table email product and a reason to sign up. Otherwise, folks will say, oh, I'll just go out to their website and get the info when I want it. You want them to know that they are getting the info first. Uh, I always say it's not cool if you heard about it from your boring cousins in the suburbs first. So they want to be in the know. They want to have that information. And then the other 50% of the content, ideally to me, is personalized based on the things that they've said they like, either by telling you when they come out to the website what their interest areas are or based on their click uh, patterns in the, in the past. Exactly. So my last question for you is, and I think you kind of answered in the, in the, in the beginning when you were talking about where to start, but... If a marketer that works at an association or nonprofit is looking to, I won't even say start, I'll just say evolve and customize their email program and strategy, what advice would you give them and, and what starting point would you suggest? If you want to implement any type of customization or personalization, the first thing that you do is you simply ask each subscriber directly what it is they want to see more of. So you send out an email that has uh, here are five types of content that we uh, publish on, um, or here are five subject areas, or here are five industries we cover, et cetera. 
help us personalize your experience uh, by letting us know which of these is most interesting to you. Because the best personalization uh, at first pass would, of course, be simply to ask folks what they want to see more of. But then it's important that once you start to deliver email based on what folks tell you they like, that you have to pay attention to whether or not there is a relationship between what they said and what they do. Because I'll tell you, one of the first learnings at Tasting Table when I started the business actually came out of a finance background and was not a media person at all. I kind of just expected that, you know, rationally, uh, there's no reason for people to be confused, uh, very naive of me, uh, <laughs> about the difference between what they say they want and what they actually want. But if you send out a survey and you ask everybody uh, if they want more wine content, they'll pretentiously say, yes, I love wine. I'm a large wine drinker. Tell me all about wine. And then you'll see that you'll start sending them wine content. And unless it's really basic, the vast majority of people won't engage with it at all. Uh, and we've run that experiment many, many times. Uh, but other than rosé and orange wine and the best bottles under 20 bucks, et cetera, <laughs> a mass audience the size of ours, you know, we reach over eight and a half million people every month. Uh, it's very hard to find an audience that um, uh, actually wants to engage with it, despite the fact that they all tell us that they're wine pros. That's fascinating. And that's a great point to make, I think, is, you know, when you send out these surveys, it's, you can't always take it at face value. Trust but verify, or in this case, uh, uh, ask and then verify. I'm also getting a little imagination insider perspective today from Chris Blos, our VP of content. You may remember him from episode one of Association Nation about rapid response content. Welcome, Chris. Uh, thanks, Jamie, and uh, nice throwback there. And hey, listeners, don't forget you can listen to all of our episodes by subscribing on iTunes or Google Play. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. All right, I'm curious. So you're a content marketing guru. What emails stand out to you in your inbox? Okay, so there's this little local pizza place in D.C. called Angelico's, and I don't know who's there do, doing their promo work because they, they have to be pretty small, but they have their emails totally dialed in. If there's a snowstorm coming, I can expect that I'm going to get an email with a clever subject line prompting me to stay inside and let someone else do the cooking and delivery. Uh, same goes for you know any kind of sporting event, the Super Bowl, the World Series, you name it. Um, I, I'm pretty impressed by that, given that they're a, a pretty small restaurant. They, they do a really great job of not only monitoring those big sort of calendar events, but also reacting to weather and, and timely trends. Um, I, I'm impressed, and honestly, I don't even really eat that much pizza. You know, that's a really, really good sales example, but what about an association or a nonprofit or someone that's doing this really well in that space? Well, I hate to be predictable, but you know I love outdoor adventure, so I'm actually going to go back to the Outdoor Industry Association, uh, which is a group I've mentioned before. Uh, with all the discussion going on about public lands, they're having a major advocacy moment right now, uh, and it shows in their emails. All their subject lines are provocative and they're action-oriented. I'm not a member, but I am an interested party, and I always want to read about what's going on. Um, we should probably get them on a future podcast, I'd say. Wouldn't you like that? That sounds like a plan to me. Can you talk a little bit about your work with our clients, too, and what has really moved the needle for them in terms of email strategy? Uh, sure. I think a good example of that is our work with uh, NFIB, which is a group that focuses on small business. Uh, they have a huge advocacy and policy mission. And the secret to email success for them has been local, local, local. We've worked with them to shift from a broad kind of generic email approach to a hyper-local one with special state editions that focus on the policy issues that affect them the most. 
And you know what? It really shows. There's been a 10% increase in the average open rates and probably more impressive, a 62% increase over the entire lifespan of the program. That's great. Going back from those generic emails to the really hyper-local ones now. Uh, it's also part of a larger content program that has helped lead to a 19% increase in joins and a 78% increase in renewals. I know that's a lot of numbers and percentages to toss out, but we're really pretty excited about those results. As you should be. That's a really awesome example to share. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, happy to be here as always, Jamie. you've gotten some inspiration today for how to improve your own email program. It's a lot to take in, but remember that you don't have to tackle everything at once. Perhaps simply start by taking a look at your subject lines. Are you localizing them as much as possible? Are you adding an emotional or inspirational appeal? Are you keeping them brief while still enticing readers to feel like they need to click this? It's always worth taking a look at both your database and what your email program offers too. Personalization and customization are tried and true ways to break through the clutter, but you can only truly tackle them if you know your capabilities. Do you have CRM software, for example, and are you taking advantage of all it can do? Even if not, there are simpler ways to slice and dice your reader interest and serve up email content accordingly. Ultimately, it comes down to what your members and readers want and need to know, not just what you want and need to tell them. If they see themselves and their needs reflected in their inbox, they'll click. finish with my favorite exercise, I like, I wish. I like that most associations I know have an email program. It's a must-have in modern content marketing and everybody knows it. I wish more associations would put the same level of strategy and thought into email as they do into other programs. It can be your workhorse, but only if you feed and groom it properly. Thanks for joining us today. Let us know what you think at podcast at imaginepub.com and be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app to get future episodes. Up next month, we'll be talking about the youth movement in associations. What your members, prospective members, and team members under the age of 35 can teach you about being future-proof.